What's happening today for the advancement of the gospel of Christ in some of the areas that are the most unreached? Welcome back to the EFM podcast, where we are seeking to create missional conversations to help equip the local church for global ministry and keep you, our listeners, informed on both real-time events on what's happening in the world of the advancing gospel, as well as opportunities for how you can be involved locally and globally. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's EFM podcast. Today we have an exciting conversation planned, but it may not be suitable for young children. So I wanted to give the parents a heads up that you will want to preview this before introducing it to your kids. Thanks for your consideration. Now let's tune into an incredible show. It's a real privilege to have Simon and Johanna with us today. They've been serving in this country now for a long time. Uh, Simon is local and Johanna is an immigrant and the Lord's brought them together for an incredible ministry to rescue uh, unborn children, to rescue mothers. And, and when I got to meet with them, I was excited about the, uh, the, f- the passion that they've got for Jesus, the ingenuity, the creativity that, that, that they have. And so I knew they would be, I knew they would be people that our EFM podcast audience would really want to, to get to know and pray for and perhaps even be involved with. So I'd like to, to bring them now to the microphone and just uh, I'd like to ask you to kind of tell us your story about how God brought you to where we are today. Well, thank you um, so much for having us. That's uh, it's a real privilege. I remember you asking us whether we could do a podcast about a month ago and now we're actually sitting here and doing that, so that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, so Simon and I um, met here in this country, and Simon clearly said, sweetheart, I'm called to this nation. And so he said, okay, let's do something here. He'd been in the field for a long time doing different things. So yeah, so before we were doing, um, we were working with HIV victims in uh, one of the largest cities in this nation. And it was during that time that um, God really called us or softened our hearts towards the unborn and their mothers. Um, I have to say that none of us were really, yeah, experts in that field or aware of the atrocity and the, the vastness of this problem and the, the, the effects the, you know, the, of, 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 of this issue. And, um, and it was really through reading the newspaper. I mean, I would read the newspaper in the morning and there would always be some story about a baby being thrown in the gutter, a baby being found by the street dogs, uh, a mother being um, forced to have an abortion because she was carrying the wrong gender. Whatever it was, I would end up in the living room weeping and wailing. <laughs> and I think my poor husband was getting rather... Um, nervous as to what married life would be like with me, thinking that, is this how these foreigners <laughs> live their life? Um, anyway, so um, it took a while, a couple of weeks, until Simon said, honey, I think God is trying to tell us something. I think this is not just you being emotional. I am, I'm, I'm a woman, I like emotions, but I'm not overly emotional. So something was different. And you noticed that, honey. And... Um, And we got on our knees and we prayed and asked God what to do. And he said, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, clearly. And so we were still not quite sure, thinking, is it a ministry for the deaf and dumb? Until we realized, no, it's this large people group of children yet to be born and their mothers. And, um, and that's really how it started. And we were working with a, with a large organization, um, Christian organization, which my husband was leading at that time, that the base in that city. And so he knew he had a lot of contacts. So we reached out to the different uh, contacts asking, look, you know, can we join a ministry, a pro-life ministry? And um, because we were absolute newcomers, you know, we didn't know left from right in the, in that arena. Uh, we were just newly married, intercultural marriage and had a little, our first son was just a couple of months old. And so we didn't feel equipped to, to spearhead something totally new of which we weren't, you know, knowledgeable. And um, there was none in this huge nation of mm. so many people, which, um, um, which has an abortion rate 10 times that of the U.S. There was no ministry focusing 
on speaking up for those little ones who can't speak for themselves, on, you know, speaking up for the mothers who so often go unheard in this nation as well. And so it wasn't really our choice. It wasn't our dream and our vision to start a new organization with all the administrative work connected to right. that. It was really, um, it was really the only way that we could move forward in the calling that God had clearly given us. So that's how Life Roll was started. So you, you mentioned that God spoke to you, speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. That was pretty, pretty close to the word that you got. That, that, was, that was the scripture that he gave to both of us. He as gave we... the scripture. So I'm, I'm bringing this to the point because in other podcasts I talked to our, our audience that, that the, the, the scriptural familiarity is crucial to any effective ministry, but hearing the voice of God. And so mm. for those that may not know, that's right out of Proverbs 24, verse 11, which has been very much no. It's okay. Proverbs 31. Okay, you're in Proverbs 31. All right. 24.11 is rescue those being led away to slaughter. Good. Or were you, were you referring That's to that? Oh, I'm sorry, to. you were moving to the next scripture. No, 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 no. no. So talk, go ahead, give us more okay. scripture. So, so the Proverbs 31 would be the speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I think it's verse 8. And then, but 24.11, the one that you just quoted, is one which is so central, I think, to, to our ministry here as well. Um, which again links in with one large part of our ministry, which is bringing awareness about this issue. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, in, in, in Proverbs 24, 11, it says, rescue those being led away to slaughter, you know, hold back those staggering towards death. And if you say, well, I didn't know about this. Well, you know, doesn't he who, you know, who, who knows you, doesn't he weigh the heart? Doesn't he hold you accountable and responsible for what you've know, what right. you've been told? And that's really one thing that we bring into one part of our ministry, which, which are the seminars. We call them the life seminars, you know, where, um, where we just bring, just, just tell them about what is the miracles happening in the womb day to day. And then the, the abortion methods, the side effects. And foremost, God told us to bring this to the churches because there is such lack of knowledge. God's people are dying for lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's really what's happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have had, we've done these seminars many times for pastors as well. We would have pastors who would have ladies in their congregation scheduled for an abortion and they would say, well, before, because it's a medical procedure, you know, I'm your shepherd, so I want to pray for you, so please come. Wow. And I'll pray for you. And they'll be praying for a safe procedure, for wisdom for the doctors to do, uh, you know, to do a successful abortion. Oh and God. so we've had these kind of, yes. And we, we've had these kind of pastors literally breaking down in a very healthy way Good. Um, at the end of our seminars and finding forgiveness and starting the path of healing. Wow, um, Yeah. So, well, thank you for that clarification. I do, wanna, I do wanna hear a little bit about backtracking to where your story was. So you, you came from a ministry home. You were very much involved in ministry. You're leading an organization and then God just kind of slaps you on the, the face with this pro-life outreach, which you have had no context for. So tell me a little bit about your reactions and interactions with all of that. Okay. Um, uh, even though I was born and brought up in a Christian family, a pastor's family, you know, um, I was very well exposed to the ministry, different ministries. Um, but um, as I was growing up, you know, somehow the death, poverty, injustice is very much part of our life. Um, looking up so many deaths, so many suicides and the accidents on the roadside, I think somehow my emotion uh, became numb, you know. And of course, in this culture, the man, you are not supposed to express your emotions, you know. And if I see any uh, dead body on the road, you know, and um, yes, we feel sorry for that, but you are not really broken about that, you know. And um, I've been to, um, you know, many situations where we have to do outreach and um, people were, you know, chasing us, beating us, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, it's kind of it's okay to endure all this suffering you know, for the sake of kingdom of God, you know, that kind of things. In one of the largest cities here, um, the average train accident uh, or yeah, death by train accidents every day was 15 people, you know, wow. within a city. I have seen this uh, train accident so many times, you know. Um, and somehow, you know, you feel sorry, but again, you know, the life continues, you know. 
So my emotion became numb. So when Johannes sit and cry over the newspaper in the, the news about the babies being thrown away into the ditch and uh, taken by the dogs and it's like i used to tell her it's like well come on relax you know it's part of our life it's, it's happening every day in our country you know we can't do anything about it you know well you can pray but you know there's no point of sitting and crying over this issue you know that that was my attitude that was my response um but slowly slowly you know i was like god you know i love this city i call this city and you know we are here the sufferings and death and injustice to the children is is very very you know um common or so high you know and here my wife is sitting and crying over this issue and i'm not what is this you know and i think it slowly you know god the spirit of god works in my heart and it took maybe 6 months you know to heal my emotion i didn't even realize that actually but after 6 months when i began to read newspaper and every time i read news of injustice to the uh, children you know and unborn babies you know um, i was so disturbed i was so disturbed and um, i was not crying but uh, my heart was so heavy so heavy and i couldn't really bear it you know and then that's what i realized that god is really trying to say something then i came to you and i was like i think honey god is trying to say something and we need to really listen let's go to god so basically i took my wife's hand and we went to god god we are really broken over this um news or issues about baby that is not born yet i will we didn't say exactly baby that's born yet but children's issue you know and what are you trying to say and then god clearly said this from uh, proverbs 31 uh, verse 8 you know open your mouth for those who cannot speak up for themselves and again we were not really clearly sure about what does it mean we thought my god is calling us to do a ministry for uh, deaf and dumb you know that kind of things and uh, but we were searching god and we were seeking god and in prayer and uh, searching the scripture you now what does it really mean god is trying to say then we came to know that it is uh, unborn babies wow. who cannot really speak up for themselves that's great so there there has to be a an immersion for the people of god they have to be immersed in scripture to have a clear understanding otherwise we get dreams and visions that may be bad pizza or something even worse but <laughs> we really want to make sure that everything that that we sense is from God. So it's so important that we are familiar with the word of God so that everything that we that we sense that may be God's direction it will be confirmed with scriptural principles and in many cases direct quotes if not very close allusions to scripture. So I want to encourage our people with that. Something else I want to pick up on is that So many times because we live in a sin-cursed culture, we get used to it. And I remember hearing the story of a boy who grew up with his dad being a mafia don, and the interviewer asked him, "What was it like growing up with gunshots outside of your house and, you know, people missing every now and again?" And the boy's or now the man who was then a boy uh, growing up, he said, "You know, I didn't know that this was not normal this was just what i was expected uh, you know this was this was every day and so i think in many times just like what you were talking about mm. we look at all of the problems and we forget to realize that mm. god has an answer god mm. is not just looking to wash everything new mm. in the new heavens and the new earth but there is a ministry here today mm. for this generation for cleansing for holiness and for for cultural impact. So I want to thank you guys for being sensitive to 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 not accept mm. the curse of sin as normative. We can we can be salt and light and reach out and make a difference. Okay, now let's let's look at that. So God talked to you and he said, "Speak for those who cannot speak for themselves." And so your first response was Okay, yes. What does that mean? Maybe it's deaf and dumb. But then as you you became aware it was specifically for children and initially it was primarily to pastors. And so kind of spell spell that initial 
formation into to, to where we are today? How does, because there's a lot more going on now. So bring us up to speed. What okay. was the journey? Okay, yeah. See, basically, we didn't, uh, when we hear from God and it was not very clear for us, you know, what does it mean, God, you know? So we have to really uh, wait on God more for clarity, you know, before we take another step, you know. Uh, me uh, being a ministry leader uh, and leading many different ministries in these big cities and uh, of course obviously think okay another project now God is asking us which we don't have right now is deaf and dumb you know and um, as we were uh, reading and searching God and um, you know um, then uh, we were also like uh, you know uh, researching doing some research you know through internet and that kind of things then we came out about um, pro-life ministries, you know, uh, which is really defending uh, the life right from the conception, you know. And um, and Johanna's um, family, um, sister and brother-in-law, they are also medical professionals. So we've been just updating them about, you know, uh, about our situation and uh, what the Lord is speaking to us, you know, we didn't know what does it mean, you know, that kind of things. And um, they being medical professionals, they were also kind of helping us with some information. And uh, with that information, we are, you know, more curious to do some more research on that. And that's how we um, came up about uh, the pro-life um, ministry. But again, um, I did travel to different countries and spoken to different, you know, churches, uh, both locally, internationally. I never heard about pro-life ministry. You know, it is totally the pro-life, the word pro-life was totally a foreign concept to me and it was not really popular or common to me. You know, it was totally new actually. So everything from the scratch, you know, we need to learn, you know, what does it mean, you know. Uh, then uh, at the same time as we were reading news, like, you know, we came, we came to know that there's so many abortions happening in this country. Um, saying that um, this is a girl child and uh, saying that this is not my child and it's a illegitimate child, you know, for the reasons abortion is uh, happening very common, you know. Then we were studying more about this issue of abortion, you know. And again, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, we, there's nobody there to guide us or to speak to us or inspire us, you know. It's just us and God and Bible, you know. You know. Wow. Um, so... Right. We were kind of maybe God is directing us towards this, you know. So we are so curious, dedicated, and you know, devoted to, you know, follow God's instruction and in, in that line, you know. Um, I don't know how exactly. I can't say how many days or months it took for us that this is the field, because we realized that you know, is we were looking at it's like any ministry focusing on saving unborn babies, you know, and there was no ministry. This is a new field God is calling us, you know. Me being, you know, um, um, ministry leader, or uh, even finished my Bible college and everything, and naturally, you know, ministries for me is like church planting and all the things like a widow's ministry, orphanage ministry, jail ministry, hospital ministry, and this is totally new to me. And I have no experience, mm -hmm. no exposure also. And God said, I'm calling you to a totally a new idea, new revelation, a new field into this. And, uh, okay, Lord, we have no idea, but we will obey. We don't know how to do that, but you lead us. So basically we were, you know, empty-handed, without any experience, we just obeyed uh, God and we said, okay, lead us. That was our um, attitude. Our, I think what we realized very early on is that in this country, abortion just wasn't an issue. People just didn't have an opinion on it. I mean, if you look to the West, especially the US, everybody has their stand. It's either this side or that side, you know. But here, people didn't talk about it. The media didn't talk about it. The church obviously didn't talk about it. Um, so it was not an issue. So we felt that that was our first calling to make it an issue, to speak about it, to open our mouths and speak about it. And that's really, as I mentioned earlier, the seminars that we do. Um, that sort of, that was the first pillar of our work that was really established where we realized we need to talk. We need to open our mouths and speak about this injustice. And, and that's when we, we started our first seminar or we, we held our first seminar in 2010. 
And um, to date, it's been, I don't know how many hundreds of seminars in, I think, 20 different states in our nation here. And uh, we've reached out to over 130,000 people. And sometimes it's two people sitting on our couch and we hold a seminar for them. And sometimes we have hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. But what God clearly said, as you, as you mentioned earlier, was that the change, a lasting change in this nation will only come from the church. You know, everybody needs to hear it and babies will be saved and mothers will be saved from abortion um, on the way, even if we don't speak to the church, but to bring a lasting change, it has to come from the church. And I remember we were in, in my home country and uh, I'd given birth and, 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 and we were just about to head back and, you know, start this ministry sort of <laughs> on the way to the airport. Not really, but sort of it, sort of the last days before we left to come back here into, into the mission field. Um, God clearly said, this message is going to shake this country. And to be honest, this would probably, for any visionary person, this would be like a, whoa, yes, God's going to do something through us. For me, it was freaking me out. <laughs> because yeah, if he's going to do that, that means that, that the work that he's going to do through us is going to be huge. And that really... I, you know, I'm a detailed person. I need to know how, you know, structured and this and that. It meant a lot of work ahead of us. So, so this, 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 this word that he gave us that, that the message that we have is going to shake the subcontinent. It, it really shook me to the core. My husband always likes to say, if, if the vision God has given you doesn't scare you to death, it's probably not from God. <laughs> and so I got That's to good. experience that. And, uh, and so, yeah, and so, uh, as I said, we, we realized we need to make it an issue, we need to speak. And we started with the first seminar, you start with the first step, as every journey does. And, and that's grown into a large, you know, a, a large number of seminars, um, where we have spoken to believers, non-believers, we've spoken at Muslim conferences, we've spoken to Hindu priests, we've spoken to medicos, to lawyers, to villages, you know, anybody needs to hear it because it's an issue that's happening among every sphere of society. And then I remember one day after a seminar, a lady comes and says, well, great, now you've told me the truth. I'm pregnant, but my family won't accept me because I'm not married. Now in our country, you don't single mother your child. You do not go and just rent a flat somewhere by yourself. It's not safe. No way. There was no option. And we realized, okay, okay, looks like the next step is coming. And um, we had to move from just bringing awareness to actually offering practical help. Again, I said earlier, a vast number of millions and millions of people in this country, no ministry at that time. So we had to really fill every gap and every need that came up. We had to respond to it. And so that's when we came up with the Life Center, which is our place where women can stay with us. And it's their home and they spend their pregnancy and we look after them and we accompany them for the delivery. And then we just love them, accept them, speak to them and hear from them what their desire for the future is. You know, show them different options. How can you parent your child? Can you, do you want to parent it through adoption? Do you want to parent it, you know, is there a chance to be reconciled with your family, with the father of the child maybe? Is there a chance, is there a chance to single mother um, your child, you know? Um, so that's another big part of our, our ministry, just um, caring for these women. We've had, I think, more than 80 ladies now in our center. Wow. So let me just pop in right here because what you're talking about is, is life to life, everyday decision-making. And I think a lot of times when we think in the church in terms of discipleship, we think about a 16-week study guide. You know, what's it mean to pray? What's it mean to read your Bible and, and go to church and give tithe and then share your story? And if we can just get them to do that, then that's something, you know. But what you're doing is, at least in my opinion, a lot more biblical in the the style of discipleship that Jesus modeled. Let's work through some of these questions that that deal with how does holiness work in a day-to-day -day reality. So these are real questions. And and it's when we say discipleship, uh, I realize the people you're you're dealing with probably don't make a profession of faith to follow Jesus, but they at least not all of them, but they still need truth and they still need the the righteous standard of god's word through which to have that wisdom to where they can make discipleship and maybe that'll be a good opportunity for them to to come to the fullness of truth later on um 
very often um, in the beginning and even now, um, the pastors, Christian leaders, they misunderstand our work um, as a social work. Now, they don't see this as a ministry, even my own father. When we started this ministry, and my father was saying, why don't you have a church? You know, you are graduated in the Bible college, you can preach and teach, you know, um, I even planted two churches already, you know. Then my father was saying that you must have a church. If you don't have a church and whatever you do is not a ministry, you know. That was the attitude of my my father. And uh, of course, many people, they think this, um, this pro-life issue is just a, a social uh, issue or women issue or children's issue, you know, that kind of things. You know, they are, somehow they are not able to see this as a God's issue. And that is itself a big challenge for us to make our own people or body of Christ, the church leaders, to make them to understand that this is a God's issue. Um, um, and here we are, um, we started this, um, uh, and the ladies are coming here, and um, generally my approach is not a evangelistic approach. Um, it may, outside it may see like social work or whatever, like helping them, but my heart, my dream is to see them coming to Christ and see them and being part of the family of God, being accepted and forgiven, you know, and uh, that that's what I really want to see. But again, my approach is not evangelistic, but I'm very international, you know, for them to come to God. Sure. Um, um, I was so encouraged by a word of Mother Teresa saying, you know, preach the gospel, if necessary, use the word, um, which means we don't need to really preach to them, you know, but just we show our love in action, you know, practically serving them, caring for them, accepting them, you know. And very often the ladies come to us and say, Sir, tell us you know, more about uh, what you say, what you are saying, what you are doing, that kind of things. And I'm able to say that even to the police officers, you know, Sir, we have never seen such work in this country, you know. What makes you to do this? And uh, why are you doing this? And I have great opportunity to tell. I'm a Christian, you know, um, my work is not, may not be, you know, it's not registered as a Christian work, but uh, I'm a Christian, you know, God has told me and he changed my heart and, you know, I am able to, you know, openly witness to them sometime, you know. Good. Yeah. So let me, let me just throw in here another thought. You get flack from the tr traditional church for not using your gifts and ministries for the advancement of the church. I want to counter that and say, the church itself has a vision that is much too small. And this is something that is that is true the world over, not just in this country, but in my own country, where we think that, that the church, yes, we know it's about the body, not the building, but the functional community of how that body operates and the support systems that need to be there Monday through Saturday. And, you know, what do we do with an unwed mother who is in a point of crisis? Well, ideally, Ideally, there should be a local church that would help support and surround and comfort and give her, you know, the, the, the counsel, the care, the employment if necessary. But unfortunately, most churches, 99.95% of them are nowhere near ready to adopt that. And so that's what creates the need for parachurch ministries like this to operate. And I don't think biblically, the answer is one or the other, but the answer is, well, how can we, how can we as the church grow in our capacity to offer more of a whole life, holistic ministry that really meets people at their point of need and walks them through a lot of these, these very important decisions that they're going through? Yeah, I'm just, uh, <clears throat> I'm just thinking, I was talking to a pastor a couple of years ago and I was saying, what is your vision for this church? And he answered, that I, that I get to heaven. That was literally the pastor's, the shepherd's answer that I get to heaven. Wow. And I was quite shocked about that. But I think, um, I think, as I said earlier, the church is the only answer to this issue. And um, I often feel that um, because the church has high standards, which on one side is good, on the other side, in this country, having a huge shame factor um, if I were a young girl and I got pregnant, no way the church would accept me here. No way. My parents would pull me. And if they are Bible-believing, uh, you know, professing Christians, they would 
they would take me to the abortion clinic themselves just because of what would the pastor say? What would the others think of us? You know, you got that Sunday mask. And I think, and I think that's a really good place to start because we've got to start not, not, not saying it's good what they did, but accepting these girls that might be pregnant right. out of wedlock. The, the, the church needs to be the safest place where they should run to, right. where they should Absolutely. be able to run to. And I think it's the one that is most shaming them, especially if they grew up in that church. Wow. And I think that's a, that's a really, uh, that, that's, that's just a, that's such a small step. You know, it doesn't require of you to do maybe what we do here, living with these girls. It just requires you to accept her, to smile at her, to, I mean, I, adm I would admire her for her courage to choose life over fear of man. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, I think that's a big one, especially in this culture where, where it is so, so important what the others think of you. Um, as I said earlier, the shame factor is so big. Now, you said this. I'm just going to emphasize it. This does not at all condone the act of sin Absolutely. that brought them to this point. Totally. Nobody is condoning that. Mm. But That's we have right. a life that has to be protected. So the answer is, how do we protect the life and work redemptively for the mother and hopefully for the father that's involved in this. Mm, absolutely. And then, I mean, that's, that's, a, a, that's a really easy step to take. That's a really easy first step, step for a church to take. And everybody can take that step together. And then, of course, I mean, we can, we can move on into more active steps. You know, how can I actually, you know, maybe you can take in that pregnant girl that doesn't know where to go. Maybe you can be whatever, getting involved in, 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 uh, in, in the pro-life arena actively, financially, uh, prayerfully. There are so many ways to get involved, but I think, um, and I don't think I'm saying anything new here, but getting away from the Sunday Christianity, I think that's, that's, that's the goal. Or getting beyond Sunday Christianity. Okay, yeah. sure. Sorry. Right. <laughs> so, so let's, let's go on now. And I've heard you talk before, you mentioned that you have five ministry babies, is that right? Or is it six? Yeah, I'd have to count as well. Maybe we'll count as we go along. I'll start. <laughs> right. So we've got the, the seminars, which we started off with, that I've spoken about already. Then as a second one came the Life Center, where the women can have a home, a place to stay, and then move on from there. What we started last year, what we're really excited about, is this country's first pro-life pregnancy helpline. Um, it was sort of a response also to the whole lockdowns and things like that because we could no longer go out and do our seminars and reach out to the people. So we felt, how can the people reach out to us? And um, even while we were doing the seminars already, we can't be everywhere. We're just a really, really tiny team here. And so we realized a pregnancy helpline could maybe do the job. So that's what we launched. It's available in three of the languages spoken in this country. And it's, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I think if I'd known how much work it would have been, I don't know if I would have actually started it. But it is, we're, we're reaching out, those abortion vulnerable women are reaching out to us, and that's right. just fantastic. Um, another thing that we've done is we have fought legal battles. Um, we have been involved in two Supreme Court cases. Um, I don't know, in our country recently, the uh, legal ceiling for abortion has been raised. We were uh, accepted as a respondents in that case and trying to um, stop that from happening, uh, working together with a wonderful, with Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, and um, so, and in one high court case, we were involved as well. And then what we also value and what we really um, emphasize on is networking. And so what we started in 2014, I guess that would be considered the fifth baby, maybe, I don't know, uh, was just gathering the other like-minded organizations and getting us together um, in yearly annual summits uh, to just encourage and strengthen one another. Oh, and then I guess that would be the sixth baby then. <laughs> um, we have uh, been registered now as an infant home with the prospect of becoming an adoption agency just because we have um, experienced um, adoption agencies here and it's been appalling and sad and yeah very tragic so um, to the point that even the local authorities which uh, in this country don't have very high expectations as to hygiene and uh, and love towards the baby that is going out for adoption but even they were unhappy with the local adoption agencies to the point that they said we need a new one and so that's really been on our heart as well so describe that process for us 
where you you reach out a mother comes into the to the home maybe she's called the helpline and through that she's come into the home you walk with her through the the pregnancy and the delivery now what's the next step what typically happens well um before she's gone in for delivery we have we have spoken to her and asked her you know how she views her future and that's a difficult question for a woman of this country because chances are high that in her lifetime she's never been asked what she wants to do in the future right so i remember the first times we sat with these ladies we would go look how can where do you want to be in five years how can we help you get there and the answer would literally be wherever you want me to be and wow. i'm like what, uh, uh, <laughs> didn't see that coming <laughs> no but what is your dream yeah. yeah very often they are asking us to make a decision for themselves mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they were never taught to make a decision mm-hmm. you know wow. and and they are quite comfortable with that you know it's like Mm-hmm. yeah please you tell me what you want me to do i will do mm-hmm. that was that is usually their attitude so but coming back to your question so um we would find out does she want to give the child for adoption or does she want to be reconciled and um if she let's say wants to give her child for adoption then um usually after the adoption process is quite complicated in this country but it usually includes quite a long waiting period after delivery it can be up to 3 4 weeks which of course is terrible for a mother if she's nursing her baby knowing that she has to give it up so what we offer them is to take care of the baby and so we've taken quite a few babies 20 30 babies into our home i've nursed them <laughs> i've we're lucky to blessed with five children and 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 so you know we were always uh just taking them into our beds literally and these babies and then handing them over um to the adoption agencies and um and then seeing you know that the the girl sometimes the ladies have gone on to um get a skill training um or some have gone on to um to universities as well you know uh so we we don't want to drop them where they're at they can stay with us they can move on however we you know we can um provide best for them so you deal a lot with minors and that creates an extra flag so with that there there has to be police involvement so maybe you could kind of describe how that how that works um well um we had always um now and then uh, minor girls coming to the center as well even though it is not registered home for minors but now after the uh, during the lockdown you know of course people have no job and um, and here uh, the private companies are even the government gave a lot of free internet datas for people who are sitting at home so for them the time pass is only just you know getting into the internet and using the datas and most of the datas are used to watch pornography mm-hmm. and um, here people at home they're just cramped nobody's going for work lockdown inside the house so then they watch pornographies and what they want to do they want to put in the practice so they don't really care who is sitting at home whether it's a own sister or daughter or niece wow. cousin doesn't matter you know somehow the last you know they give into the last and uh, you know rape has happened and uh, during this lock- lockdown lot of child abuse or rape you know happened that then then after the lockdown we came to know it's like lot of minor girls were pregnant you know and that was the same time we also got a permission from the government to take minor girls into that So every time the minor girl comes of course it is it be it's a police case you now and uh, it is whether they go to the hospital whether they inform the local um, healthcare center in salvage they inform to the police and the police bring them here or the child welfare committee you know they refer them to us you know. okay yeah so we have to deal with a lot of police cases and court cases and that kind of things um if i may just tell a short story we just recently had um had a um a minor coming in <clears throat> who was found to be pregnant um no one was you know no one was aware of that and suddenly she was staying in another home and they realized she was pregnant they brought to the child welfare committee brought her here and um asked us to go for a checkup and provide if possible um an abortion for her um we have the legal ceiling of 24 weeks in this country and they said if she's under those 24 weeks please provide the abortion for her now this child welfare committee is um headed by a christian lady and we were 
we were shocked. Yeah. <laughs> we were shocked by that. But anyway, we had to take her for a checkup anyway. And we were praying that this girl would be beyond 24 weeks so that, I mean, we would have fought for her even if it had been under 24. We would, you know, we would not right. <laughs> bring her to, 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 to an abortionist. But still, it would make things so much easier if she were beyond the 24 weeks. Then we'd, you know, have, uh, we could avoid that um, confrontation. Anyway, so the doctor found she was 27 weeks and we were thinking, oh, thank God. Then this Child Welfare Committee um, sent us a letter saying, uh, we should appeal to the court for a special permission for an abortion for this child. And wow. um, that that shook us even more to the core. I mean, it's this child is finally, thank God that this child is protected under the law of this country. And now this Christian lady from the Child, child Welfare Committee wants us to fight for the execution of this child. And so, so this is just one case. And I mean, we have come so many times to the point when we're dealing with the authority. It was much easier before we had this registration for minors because we had much less contact with the authorities. The authorities make life, it, it made, made life really, really difficult in terms of um, wanting to come here and counsel our ladies for an abortion while we're doing exactly the opposite. Um, but we're not we're not willing to give up the registration because there are so many minors coming in, so wow. many rape victims as well. And there's been so many beautiful stories. I remember the story of one 14 year old who was um, whose mother had committed suicide and the father had who was a drunkard had had given her to the uncle uh, at the uncle's place. She and her sister had been uh, repeatedly used by uh, the uncle and her cousin and she not only became pregnant but also contracted hiv and she ended up wow. here and we were looking into foster carrying her and uh, taking her in as a child but um, because i'm not a local here it wasn't possible but anyway long story short she gave birth to a beautiful little boy little boy he was huge <laughs> mm, she, was a little girl. she was a little girl but he was a big boy she gave birth to and i remember the words that she said afterwards she said amma there are so many other girls just like me in the district where I come from, oh, let's my. go and help them too. Oh, wow. And wow. I realized how empowering it was that she'd given birth to this boy, that she'd seen beauty come out of the tragedy of rape, you know. And wow. so that's our little, I can't tell her name, but we still, yeah. Praise God. Little loved one. <laughs> her, name is her name translated, little translation is five colors. Five colors, okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is that is beautiful. So those are incredible stories, and the tragedy is that hardly anybody is doing this. All the life centers we could count in this country was just maybe five, and so that is that is way under staff for what what really needs to happen. So let's talk to people about two things. Number one, you mentioned some seminars and stuff that you used and you still do. That's how you got started. What are some ways that local people can learn more and start uh, encouraging their local communities right now? And then the second part of the question would be what opportunities exist here? If they wanted to say, hey, I'm really excited about what your organization is doing. What opportunities do you have for me? Let me just make sure I understood your question. The first one is locals here, how they can? No, no locals okay. back in oh, listen to the podcast. Okay, yeah. okay. So how did you start? I mean, you had, you had nobody saying, mm. come and join me. Mm. Uh, you just had God say, let's do this. Mm. So you started looking for somewhere and, and you, you compiled information and made it into a seminar. Mm. So just give some, give some suggestions for how people can be self-starters. Mm. I think... Um, as, as, as we, coming back to Proverbs 24.11, there's really no option of not being involved. <laughs> Which is, you know those verses where you sometimes wish they weren't in the right. Bible? <laughs> well, Proverbs 24.11 is probably one of them where it says, you know, it's not God asking us, if possible, if you find time on Thursday afternoons, could you please rescue those being led away to slaughter? Unfortunately, it doesn't say that. It says do it. Mm -hmm. It's an order. Sure it's does. a command. Why? Because... Because God's heart is breaking over this, you know, and I, I often, so often wonder whether the, the cry of the innocent blood that is crying out to heaven, just like, uh, like Abel's blood did, whether that isn't louder than our prayers and worship. 
You know, I, I, I don't even want to try and imagine <laughs> what God is actually hearing right now. In this country, it's every two and a half seconds that one child is losing its life. So the option, there's no option of, I think, personally, there's no option of not being involved. Just like there is no option of denying him before others. It's just not an option, right? So um, how can you be involved? One thing I already said was, you know, encourage that pregnant lady, that pregnant girl that you might be seeing, you know, s smile at her at least, you know, show her that you don't look down on her. Um, we love having these little fetal models in our pocket. I don't know. I mean, and you, we get them from the U.S. We have to, yeah, those 12-week models. We have to uh, import them. It's expensive. You guys can get them for, for uh, not a lot of money. Have them within your pocket. We, we, we've done, when we've done seminars for pastors, we hand them out to them. And we've heard such beautiful testimonies of pastors saying, I just always have them in my pocket. And you wouldn't believe how often I've already been able to take them out, put them into the hand of that, of that lady. After our seminar, after our seminar, we give this fiddle model to the pastors freely, so that they can use this as a tool for evangelism. It's so, a really great tool. It is a great tool. Uh, just to help explain this, this is a this is a model of a baby at twelve weeks twelve after weeks. conception, mm. and the baby's. Made out of silicon, it's it it feels like a baby. It looks like a baby. It's just it's just the cutest little thing, and that's yeah. that's what a twelve week old would look like. So it's about two two and a half inches from head rump. to rump, mm. and it's curled up in the fetal position. Yeah, it's and it's, it's really precious. Mm. Yeah. And then all I can tell you know suggest to 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 those listening today is is what God said to us: speak up, just don't be silent. Mm -hmm. You know, just just say something. If there's a conversation. Be daring, be willing to be mocked, to be laughed at, to be sh just ridiculed. That's fine. That's okay. We should imitate our Savior. He was ridiculed and mocked. So it's nothing bad. Um, but speak up. Just don't be silent and be courageous. Be brave in that because it takes courage. I think especially in the American culture where everybody has an opinion. Here, if you speak about it, people are like, oh, never thought about that. You have more open doors. It's much easier here in that sense. But in the West, you need a lot of courage. And he has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of boldness. When we started this, uh, this uh, life-affirming ministry, and, and people were asking, you know, so what are you doing now? Then we said, well, now we want to save the unborn babies. And uh, they don't get it, you know. It's like, oh man, so you are not doing ministry now. <laughs> so it was, it was really difficult for me to teach them and help them to understand because somehow I was not really trained, you know. I'm not really good at that. So I really wanted to learn more and how to reach out the pastor, reach out, reach out the churches, you know. That's why we really invited other ministry, you know, from the U.S. You know, to come and uh, train us and train our pastors here, you know. So I can also learn and I can train others as well. That was a first pro-life uh, seminar for the pastor, you know. And, um, and for that seminar, I just went to different pastors and churches to invite them to for this uh, seminar. It was a three-day seminar. And I learned that most of the pastors, you know, tried, I, I could say 80% of the pastors trade abortion in their family. And 50% of the pastors, they have done abortion in their family. Wow. So I was really shocked. I was really shocked. If the church is not informed with this truth, um, how can they, uh, the pastors, the shepherds, preach this truth to their right. congregation? Right. So that's what I, I came to know that, you know, it, it is not, the abortion issue is not really happening outside the church. It's happening very much equally within the church. And God very clearly speak to us that you must preach the message of life first to the body of Christ and to this world, you know. And of course, to me, I, I, right now, I find it easy to preach the, go, uh, the gospel of life to the Gentiles than to the body of Christ, because the body of Christ thinks that they got it all, they know it all, you know. So it is really difficult, you know. I feel it's a big challenge to reach the reached. Yes, it is. And that is something that I've noticed, too, that is equally true in the United States. And so I, I do want to take a minute to speak to pastors and church leaders to say this really has to be a church issue. This has to be an outreach mm -hmm. of the local church that you are part of. 
you would be amazed at how many people you know, perhaps even going into your church every Sunday, that are post-abortive. We have a huge unreached category of people that are suffering because of our ignorance and our silence on this. Very often, um, after our seminars, um, you know, the, the fathers, pastors, and uh, they are broken down and they are um, confessing their sin uh, for performing abortion in their families. But somehow, you know, they want to make sure that this is not known to their congregation. You know, mm. again, our culture is culture of shame. You know, it's like I'm a pastor. What if my congregation come to know that I have done abortion? It is really shame, shameful thing. So I don't want my congregation to know. But now I encourage the pastors like, well, no, if you really make yourself vulnerable and, you know, broken down uh, about this issue and repent in front of your congregation, it's a great opportunity for your congregation into uh, come into the time of repentance for the, you know, and there will be a, break, a great revival can even take place in our church. But that is again Absolutely. another challenge. Yeah, there's another challenge. Somehow they are really so fearful. What will the congregation think of me? Because I'm a pastor. Mm, wow. Because we are living in the culture of shame. Right, right. Your second question um, regarding how Americans or listeners <laughs> uh, can get involved um, here there are, I mean, we started about over 10 years ago, 12 years ago, as we believe the first pro-life organization in this nation. Um, we are so blessed to see that others have come up now. But still, when we look to the ratio of organizations to abortions in the West and we look at the ratio here, it is dismal. <laughs> it is so sad. And so, unfortunately, we have no other choice but to really um, offer an array of different uh, options of help to, um, you know, in the West you would have one organization that just focuses on the legal aspects, fighting legally, just focuses on post-abortive um, uh, counseling, just focus, you know, but here it's like, you know, <laughs> they're stretching the rubber band from one end of the spectrum to the other. And so one thing, one, one project which is very close to our heart, which has been on our heart for a long time, is to train midwives. As I said earlier, we have the pregnancy, uh, sorry, the life center. We take our ladies for delivery and then we've had them here for a couple of weeks, sometimes even months. We've loved them. We have listened to them. We've heard them. We have let them be. We have accepted them the way they are. We have told them they are precious and their child as well. These girls are slowly, you see a change in them. You see that they're slowly daring to trust what you're saying, that they actually are precious. And then you go for delivery and everything is shattered in one day. Um, the way that um, that these women are treated by the local medicos, it's really, it's it's really. I'm not trying to exaggerate or tell horror stories, but it is literally. Our girls have been pushed down to the floor, have been shouted at for being whores because they are not married. Maybe have been. Um, I mean, literally. I don't know how many tears we have cried just of the way that people have treated our ladies there. Wow. Um, so our dream has always been to set up a birthing center, not just um, not just for the women that we serve. We live right next to a tribal village. You know, there's so many women that that deserve better. That's it, really. They just deserve better than to be slapped in the face during delivery because you're maybe groaning or in pain, whatever. They, women, they just deserve better. And I feel this nation hasn't yet quite understood that. And so, so this birthing center has been on our heart for a long time. And along with that, obviously training local midwives as well with the values that we have so that this can also again spread. Um, so that's a project which we've dared to sort of venture into already, making little architectural plans and thinking where and where on our campus can we put that? But then we're always missing the staff for that because I, I mean, as you know, we would really just like to start it with Western midwives because we need the values. We need them to see mummy and baby. Um, as precious. So that's one thing. Um, staff generally coming and volunteering. That's, you know, that's, that's something. And I guess at the end of the day, there's always this threefold way that you can support a ministry in the West, uh, sorry, from the West to wherever we are here. <laughs> and that is by coming, by praying or by giving. And, and I think that's, that's what it boils down to as well. And, um, uh, so let me just 
recap a little bit. You you mentioned there is a specific need for for midwives. So anybody that would have either a midwife or even a professional in terms of uh, obstetrics, gynecology would be there. But early on, you prefaced this, we do everything. <laughs> That's so, the problem. <laughs> so if there's somebody that has a gift in counseling, or if mm. there's somebody that has an interest in legal issues, or if there's somebody that has an interest in even fundraising or mm. putting together some sort if you're willing. Yeah, I mean, there's no ministry in all of this country that caters to post-abortive women. None. Wow. Zero. With 15.6 million abortions happening every year. Zero. We did one retreat seven years ago, and um, we just don't have the staff capacity to do that. But there is a, a need which is beyond. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying, contact us. We're sure to find, and even if you like... Building sheds. I don't care. There is there is work on uh, on on the mission field here in the pro life mission field here in in, in this country. Great. Even with um, you know fighting um, um, in the Supreme Court for the extension of um, MTP Act, medical termination of pregnancy, we were the only organization, and um, and along with the ADF um, Alliance Defending Freedom, the great. You know, they really helped. So ADF and us together, you know, there's no other, all other churches and the organizations just very quiet. No, we don't really care about what's really happening there in, you know, uh, about this government policies and anything. So we were fighting alone all the time. I mean, God is with us definitely, you know, but uh, it'll be nice there's, you know, more support comes, you know, and fight together. That'll be really great. So at the moment, kind of, we are there to do everything. There's no option. There's no chance, you know. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you so much. It's been a, a great conversation. I want to ask one more question. Earlier today, we were talking around the, the breakfast table, and you mentioned the story about the fish pond out front. Oh. So I want to, I'd like you to maybe tell some stories relative to that. But I also want to, again, emphasize to, to our listening audience, this is not a political issue that is ever going to be solved in the legislature or in the Supreme Court. This is fundamentally a gospel issue, which is why it's so important that the local church be involved and adopted as one of the, one of the ways in which we have to be salt and light in the world that we're, that we're reaching. So. This is not just a social cause. This is an opportunity to bring people who are in a dark spot in life to the fruit of salvation. So go ahead and tell us some of that. Yeah, um, earlier I said that I don't have an evangelical approach, uh, but I do influence them uh, towards the truth. Um, during this lockdown, and they were not even able to go to church You know, every Sunday. Uh, it, again, it's not a rules that they must go to church, but we encourage them, you know, if they can go to church because that's a place where they get to know the truth, get to know the Savior, get to know the lover of their soul, you know, um, and forgiveness, stuff like that. And um, But during the lockdown, all churches are closed down and everything, so we started to worship God here, you know, in our own places. Uh, that's the time all these girls, they really said, they were responding, saying, you know, brother, we want to be baptized. It's like, I never really encouraged them. I really asked, gave them the option of, do you want to be baptized? You know, it's like, it's like, you know, we really want to follow Jesus now and we want to be baptized as well. You know, basically they were asking, how can we really be Christian? You know, what makes us Christian? And I want to really follow Christ, you know, tell us. Then we were explaining about, you know, the whole steps, you know, then they wanted to be baptized as well and there's no option to go outside and to be baptized and then we had a small fish tank now right in front of our house and we decided why don't we baptize them all (laughs) in the fish tank oh my goodness (laughs) and uh, i well i I baptized seven of the ladies they were really prepared and the last one is a muslim lady she said can i also be baptized like 
well i'm not really sure i never really sat with you and explained the whole things but you know our staff you know explained this to me i really want to be baptized and she was really keep on you know influencing asking her can you please tell sir to be to, to baptize me please wow. and he was requesting his muslim lady wow. and i baptized her as well and Great that was really God. incredible story so it's just beautiful to see these these ladies from our life center with these big round beautiful bellies <laughs> diving dipping under and uh, that was really encouraging and would you allow me to share one more story absolutely um just you know you were saying it's it's a it's it's a it's a spiritual issue it's a god issue and you don't have to be a pastor to understand it and that i think is very evident through one story which we experienced with a young girl here a young lady she was just married she was 19 and um she was married she got pregnant unfortunately she had primary pulmonary hypertension which means you shouldn't get pregnant because there's not enough oxygen in you know supplied to your body and chances that you die during delivery are rocket high and so every hospital that she went to said um you're going to have to have an abortion and this girl she was a believer she went to, she didn't even speak a word of english she not very educated but she had a bible and she said but the other day i read something in the psalms i read something that God is making that baby. Wow. And shouldn't we then not do it? This was not a pastor telling her on the contrary, her pastor encouraged her to do that because obviously her life was in danger, which is true. But she said, "No, but that's what I read, and isn't that the truth?" Mm. And so we got to know this girl and we said, "You know what? What you've understood is true. You're in a very difficult situation whatever you decide, you know, we're with you. We're with you." And she said, I don't see from the Bible that I'm allowed to take life and I'm so happy to be pregnant with this child and wow. so she asked us to literally help her to 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 have any hospital to find a hospital that would be willing to do the delivery and it was difficult Christian hospitals were saying you can come here but only if you're going for an abortion we met the um the leader of a very large hospital in in this town he's he does not share our faith he's a very strong defender of of a different faith and um but he likes to be in the spotlight and so i called him and i said doctor wouldn't that be a cool story wouldn't that be a cool story if this girl makes it wouldn't your hospital just you know wouldn't that be something you know no risk no glory and he said ah oh, yeah let me talk to my gynecologist he persuaded her so this girl went through her pregnancy and literally the last two months she was breathing <laughs> that's how she was breathing she could not take a deep breath and honestly we activated motivated anybody and everybody to pray you know mm. we were we we needed god for a miracle here and when she went in for delivery her husband had to sign the disclaimer that if she dies it's not you know the hospital's fault and this girl she gave birth within 45 minutes without without pain she said i don't know how that worked i never got that gift <laughs> Within 45 minutes she gave birth to a little girl which was put into ICU for about half an hour then the doctors took her out and said she's fine. Oh. The mother and baby were discharged from the hospital after 2 days. Oh my. We named her, she asked us to name her and we named her Nessia which means miracle in Hebrew. Wow. And after a couple of days later the this owner of this different faith, strong defender of that different faith, calls me and says, "Johanna, What did you do? I said, what what do you mean what did I do? He said, this God that you believe in, you know that he did a miracle, right? I said, yes, I believe that. He said, would you pray for me and for my hospital? Wow. So God can do it. Oh, God wow. can do it. Just step out and just believe that what he says is true. Just speak up, believe it, live it out what you read in the Bible. Even if your pastor preaches something else, mm-hmm. because what the Bible says is true and God is able. and we've seen it and there's there's other stories they're, they're not always good stories but some of them are just enough to carry us through to the next one wow oh wow well i'm having a hard time holding back tears that's beautiful and that's really what we want to see the the gospel of light impacting the kingdom of darkness well, thank you so much for those of you who have been spoken to by the holy spirit uh, through this conversation I would encourage you if you're ready to take the next step. Reach out to us. You can send us an email podcast@4efm.org. That's podcast@4efm.org and just say what God's what God's telling you. Uh if 
if you'd like to explore further and you're not really sure, we'd love to walk through that journey with you. And whether it means more active involvement where you're at right now, there are plenty of resources to help hold your hand and coach you and get you established in a pro-life outreach in the States. If you would like to think about uh, overseas placement in, in this country, we'd be excited to, to make those connections happen. I also, again, want to say, uh, especially to the pastors, I've been a pastor, and even though I, I can't say a whole lot in terms of the size of the church. One thing that we did was we established a pro-life ministry in front of the doors of an abortion clinic. And today, that clinic is closed in the name of Jesus. So it does make a difference. If the church will rise up and expose the fruitless deeds of, of wickedness and darkness, God does amazing miracles. And you do not want to miss that. God is still active in society. He's still doing a, a great work wherever there are people available to respond and to say, what are you doing, Jesus, and how can I be involved? Again, thank you so much. Lord bless you. We'll catch you next time.